The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. When the days were completed for their purification, according to the law of Moses, the parents of Jesus took him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictate in the law of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took him in his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be contradicted. And you yourself, a sword will pierce so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after her marriage, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. Never left, she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day with fasting and prayer. And coming forward at that very time, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. Today we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Family. As we continue in the octave of Christmas, the eight-day observance of Christmas Day, uh, the Church wisely places on the Sunday within that octave the feast recognizing that Jesus didn't just pop out of nowhere as a fully formed man. He didn't just kind of walk out of the desert and no one knowing where he came from, but rather that he had an earthly father and mother, that he had grandparents, that he had uncles and aunts and cousins and friends, that he was very normal, that he was one like us in all things except sin. And so we pause to reflect upon this gift of the Holy Family for us, of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and the implications that it has for us as Holy Families in our own day. In the year 2017, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of the uh, visionaries uh, of Fatima. Of that feast in which Our Lady of Fatima appeared back in 1917, 
uh, to three shepherd children and conveyed to them a message of prayer and penance to be able to encourage them to pray the rosary and to continue to, to offer sufferings for the salvation of the world. And as we celebrated the 100th anniversary this year, there were many things written and many you know, videos composed and, and stories about it in various newspapers and online posts. But one of the things that has struck me continually is one of the things that's not often indicated uh, in some of the writings. And it was from a small letter written by the last of the visionaries. If you remember, there were three of them. Uh, two of them died shortly after their visions back in the early 19-teens. And so there was only one who lived a very long life, so to speak. And that was Sister Lucia, who herself became a religious sister and joined a convent in the cloister and remained in prayer and fasting for the rest of her days. And it was one time that Sister Lucia wrote to one of the cardinals of the church. And she said, Your Eminence, there is a battle underway. And it is against the family. It is a decisive one. And it was this recognition that she herself knew by the, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, by the inspiration and prayer, much as Sammy, Simeon and Anna did in the gospel today, that there was something particular happening in our own day, that the devil was coming to fight. He was putting great emphasis against the family itself. We have to, don't have to recognize that much has happened in the last 50 or so years during that time in which Sister Lucia was praying for the church and the world. We know that divorce has increased dramatically. We have a greater number of single-parent households, absentee fathers. We know of the devaluation of married life, of family, and especially of children as we continue to have an abortion culture, but also a culture which prefers oftentimes to have couples with fur babies with four legs rather than real babies with two. And any time that a dog is preferred over a person or given more value, we know that something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. We recognize also that in the time, the rise of technology, which is a wonderful thing, but also in many ways it has replaced some of the contact and intimacy that is rightly due between a parent and a child. And certainly the children feel this uh, profoundly as we see within our culture a continued rise in violence, anxiety, depression, and suicide rates among our youth. This is all because the devil is smart. The devil knows that he could try and he could go around to individuals and kind of pick us off one by one, the individual sheep of the flock out there in the world. But he's smarter than that. Because the devil knows, just as we do, that if you start taking apart a house at the top of the house and work your way down, you're going to have to take apart every single piece and it's going to be lots of labor. But if you destroy the foundation, everything else caves. And so the devil, rather than trying to take one soul here or there, simply has come to strike at the, at the foundation itself of society, the family. Because he knows if he can destroy family life, he's got everything. And so the place for us is to ensure that family life is indeed a place of faith, not a place of absence of it. In our prayer today, in our gospel, we heard that Mary and Joseph took the child Jesus to Jerusalem to the temple that he might be consecrated to the Lord. To consecrate something means basically just it's, it's set aside. And it's set aside because 
Whereas other things may belong to normal life, to normal things to the world. One that is set aside, something that is set aside, belongs entirely to Christ. It is His and His alone. It is no longer the power of the prince of this world, the devil. It belongs to Christ the King. Every one of us, in the moment of our baptism, received this consecration. We were consecrated to Christ. Every time a baptism happens, there are a couple of things that happen initially before that. And it's right away. We waste no time in claiming a child for Christ our Savior. We ask, what is the name of this child? To which we respond. What have you brought this child for? Baptism. Okay, good. Now we claim this child for Christ our Savior by the sign of the cross. And we trace the cross on the forehead of the one to be baptized. At that moment, it's already a beginning and a reminder that this one belongs to God, wholly and entirely. And every one of us who have been baptized belong the same, wholly and entirely to the Lord our God. It's an important thing for us to consecrate ourselves to the Lord continuously. Because we recognize that though we may be consecrated wholly entirely, sometimes we struggle to live that out a bit. That it takes effort. And one great thing that we can have is the ability to, to re-consecrate ourselves. To renew our dedication to the Lord. One thing that I would certainly encourage and we'll talk about more in the future is consecration of one's family and one's home to the sacred heart of Jesus. It's a particular ceremony by which the family gathers before an image of a sacred heart and an image of the Immaculate Heart of Mary and simply says, they are the ones who reign here, not the evil one. It is Christ who runs this house, and we rejoice to be in his number. To be able to consecrate oneself and one's family, one's home to the sacred heart is a wonderful gift, a renewal, a fruit of our baptism, wherein all things are given over to Christ. But I would encourage several other things for us, especially to ensure that faith is firmly rooted in our family life. One thing would be another continuation of the gift of baptism in the making of the sign of the cross over the other members of our family, particular parents, godparents, and grandparents over the children. Whenever the church does that signing of the cross and invites the parents and godparents to do the same at baptism, it envisions that that's not just a one-time thing. That there's something that would continue to happen because a blessing actually has authority. As parents, you have a spiritual authority over the life of your child. Whether we understand it or not, the authority is there. And it's to be able to make the sign of the cross is simply to remind the child and to remind us who make the cross that you belong to Jesus Christ. In no uncertain terms... We remember who is our king. It strikes me that there's no age limit to which the sign of the cross can be made upon one's child either. I was at, the, at a convent in, uh, in California this, the past few days visiting some religious sisters. And one of the normal things that the sisters do is immediately prior to leaving the convent to go off to carry out some particular work, some apostolate that is entrusted to them, they first find a mother. And they kneel down before mother's feet and they ask for a blessing. The mother marks them with the sign of the cross, and then they stand up and they go. It doesn't matter if you're 27 or 77, <laughs> you go to the feet of mother, and she gives you a blessing. And the same can be true in our own families. 
I've seen families where the children are taller than the parents, and yet they bend down to receive their blessing before they go to bed at night. A wonderful gift. Renewal of a consecration. Another thing it's important for us to do is continue to live the faith frequently and to allow it to be such a normal part of our daily life that it's not something that's kind of special uh, outside of the norm for us. I reflect upon you know, those, uh, some of the commercials that were on TV a few years ago where you see someone do one, one sit-up and you're good for health for the year. Or you take one pill and everything's good. All your medicine is taken care of for the whole year. And you and I both know one pill just doesn't cut it. <laughs> and so it's that, that reminder that, that though we may like to, to think that doing one thing one time can be helpful, usually the only time a child learns one thing one, with one repetition is when you say a word that you're not supposed to. Because then that child immediately repeats it, and then it repeats it continuously, despite your attempts to stop them. If only they picked up the good habits as quickly and as easily. But that's the importance of our faith. To be able to come and to not have it be just a once a year thing or just an occasional type of thing, but to allow it to be regular for us. Regular attendance at Mass. To come to confession. To pray together as a family. For married couples to pray together as a couple. And for everyone to pray individually in your own heart. There's a wonderful gift of the power of prayer within a family. For a child to see their parents pray, their grandparents pray, their godparents pray, their aunts and uncles pray, to see anyone who is an adult in faith praying is a transformative experience. Numerous accounts of the lives of the saints and contemporaries of our own day account to seeing their parents praying as an encouragement to them. That it's not something where it's just empty words, where we tell them that faith is important, but we don't actually put it into practice But if we say faith is important, they also see mom and dad are on their knees. This is something that's real and is transformative of their own very life. So it's important for us to be a people of prayer, to pray together as a family, to pray the blessing before meals, to pray Thanksgiving after meals, to spend time just simply praying together as a family, maybe night prayers as a family before we go to bed to remember those who need our prayers in a special way that day. Even the smallest of things can become a wonderful gift. Two other things that I would encourage families to do would be if you are a married couple, make sure that date night stays a part of your relationship. And it seems an odd thing, but every year I give the godparents of, uh, I give the parents of my godchildren gift cards so that the family or the parents, rather, can go off by themselves and spend time together. Because the most important thing, the foundation of a family, is the marriage. And if the marriage falls apart, we've lost sight and we no longer strengthen the children. So it's important for the husband and the wife to have a close relationship and to spend time in the intimacy together, not just simply with the children. And lastly, I would encourage that thing which was the optional point Uh, in our form of the readings today. We love to skip that last section of the readings where it says, Wives, be subordinate to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Yesterday at the Vigil Mass, when that verse was read, someone went, (laughs) and I heard it. (laughs) When we hear that 
wives be subordinate to your husbands, it can easily sound like a foolish thing. But actually, the important piece there is that the husbands actually do what a husband is supposed to do. Because if a husband does something foolish, his wife has no obligation to follow. And here's the important piece, namely for men to be active in faith. This is one of the most important pieces. For the husband of the family, the father of the family, to be the first one to take the role of faith. It strikes me oftentimes that as we come and we we offer various things in the life of the church, that women become the ever-present majority. You come to daily Mass, it's usually me, maybe two or three other guys, and a good number of ladies. The simple reality is whenever you come and when you offer a rosary group, the ladies show up. When we say that we're going to have a talk on something, the ladies show up. When Father hands out books after Mass... The men walk out empty-handed. The ladies have books. And so I would invite you gentlemen to be the first ones to step up in faith. To lead by example. To show your spouse, to show your children, to show your grandchildren, your family, that what we do here matters. It's not something external to us. It's the core of our very essence. It's who we are. We're people of faith. So it's an invitation for us to come and to rejoice in this gift of a holy family. Of Jesus, of Mary, and of Joseph. The great witnesses to God. Those who rejoice to show us what it is to be a holy family doesn't mean that we're not normal families. We take encouragement from them. And so we invoke their blessing upon us. And so we pray that our hearts may be made like to those of Jesus, of Mary, and of Joseph, who might be able to consecrate ourselves and our families entirely to Christ Jesus, to give everything over to him, and to rejoice in the life of faith that he assures us in the blessings upon our families.